All right, well, good morning. Welcome to TBA. My name is Dave Shive. If you don't know who I am, I'm one of the pastors here at TBA. And it's great that you guys chose to come out to be with us this morning. Today we're going to continue in our series of love, sex, and devotion. And why we're primarily going to be talking about the things we talk about in the context of marriage today, it doesn't mean that this series is not for you if you're single. In fact, I believe that God has a whole lot to say to you singles as well as he does to those of us who are married. Because these principles that we're going to be talking about, they can be applied to any relationship in your life. And they definitely apply to the relationship that you have with Jesus. If you weren't here last week to hear Brian Stiverson's message on unlocking the heart of your spouse, then you missed an amazing message. How many of you here were here last week for that? It was awesome, wasn't it? So I highly recommend you get that podcast and you download it from the website if you didn't hear it because you're going to want to hear that message. But let me try to review real quick what Brian said. Basically, he said, gardening and male sweat are the key to successful marriages, right? That's what he said, right? (laughs) If you were here last week, you would know what I was talking about. It's funny because Ashley and I went home with two different perspectives last Sunday. I went home thinking sex was going to be part of our night. She went home thinking that we were going to practice non-sexual touch. So I don't know how we got those two different perspectives, but that's what we got from that message. But anyways, what Brian was really talking about was that the top needs for a woman are love and security, and the top needs for a man are respect and sex. And he did a really good job of explaining that, and you're going to want to hear that message because it was very powerful. So if you didn't hear it, get it. Today we're going to be talking about real love. Real love. Now love, that's a word that gets used a whole lot. But what really is love? See, we say that we love all sorts of things. We say that we love ice cream, and we love movies, and we love sports. How many of you love the Gators? Yeah? How many of you love the Seminoles? Yeah? See, we say that we love them, and we say them with such enthusiasm. But I also love my son and my wife and my mother. Is that the same thing? Yet we use the same word. I loved my dog, and I was very, very sad when we had to put him down this year. But is that really love? Loving my dog, is that really love? What is love? See, our world is consumed by love. Our American culture is in love with love. Did you know that 60%, 60% of all the songs that make it to the top 10 of the Billboard charts have something to do with love in some form or fashion? And it isn't just today's music that that's the way. It's always been that way. From The Temptations, My Girl, to today, where Selena Gomez's number one hit, Hands to Myself. Love songs continue to reign supreme. And it's not just music. It's all throughout our culture. Best-selling books, magazines, romantic movies, TV reality shows like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. How many of you who are my age remember The Love Boat? Remember The Love Boat? We used to watch the love boat every Saturday night when I was a kid. Love is everywhere in our culture. But more often than not, I think that the view that the world has of love is skewed. I mean, think about it. We write love letters and poems, and we tell our beloved how we would climb high mountains just to be near to them, that we'd swim across wide oceans, cross desert in the burning heat of the day, and sit at their window and sing love songs to them in the moonlight. But when it comes to doing the dishes, 
Well, all of a sudden, we've been on our feet too long today, and we're too tired, and we don't have the energy to get dishes done. Which, if we would do the dishes, would probably mean more to our spouse than moonlit sonnets. And if our songs and our movies and our poems are any indication, most, most of us don't really know what love is because we confuse real love with other experiences and emotions. And then consequently, we have no basis on which to evaluate the relationships we pursue and the decisions we make in search of real love. There's actually a study that's been done that shows the negative effects that romantic movies have on real relationships. I mean, think about every romantic movie that you've ever seen. The plot is almost exactly the same. Two romantically challenged characters who have never really found true love are introduced by a friend. They meet and they realize that they're destined to be together. It's love at first sight. But then they encounter a series of problems that are meant to separate them. But by the end of the movie, they're wrapped in each other's arms, love on cloud nine for the rest of their lives, cue the credits. See, that's how love's supposed to happen, right? That's what love looks like, right? That, that's what we think, how, how people fall in love. But you and I know better. We know that it's not that way. If love were like the movies, then this is what my wife would see every time she looks at me. But movies aren't real life. See, love at first sight is not a miracle. It's when two people have been looking at each other for years that it becomes a miracle. See, this study said that what happens is when we watch these storylines of these movies unfold over and over again, it distorts our vision of love. And what they're seeing, they're seeing young single women who really want to get married but they feel like if their date doesn't sweep them off of their feet like the opening scenes of a movie, that it's not worth a second date. And marriage counselors are finding that they find the same misconceptions in some of their clients. Misconceptions like if your partner truly loves you, that you'll know what they need without communicating with them. That your soulmate is predestined. See, everybody wants to love and to be loved. And at this point in your life, there may be nothing as, a, as powerful as that desire. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Because without love, without it, life would be at least incomplete and at worst desperate. The yearning to give and receive love throbs in the heart of everyone, male and female alike. See, that's the way God designed us. He, get, he designed us that way. He placed the need for relationship inside each one of us. And people try in many different ways to discover true love a love that's strong and deep, a love that lasts for all time. Yet the pursuit of love has caused more heartache and pain, more brokenness and bitterness than all of the diseases of all the wars of history. And a lot of people struggle to understand what love is and how to find it. And many are willing to give almost anything in order to experience love. So what is real love? What is it supposed to look like? Well, first let's start with what love isn't, because I think that'll help us. First of all, love isn't lust. Although in our individualistic, get-all-you-can-it's-only-about-me society, lust is quickly taking the place of love. And you understand why when you see that lust is, is rooted in selfish desire. See, lust is defined as an intense or unrestrained sexual craving, an overwhelming desire. It's self-fulfilling and it has no concern for the damage that it causes in others. 
Lust has become so mainstream in our world that it's openly advertised. This is a billboard on the road. It's openly advertised. But see, that's to be expected of our world. I mean, 2,000 years ago, John even said that. Here's what John said in 1 John. He said, The world offers only lust for physical pleasure. The lust for everything we see and pride in our possessions, these aren't from the Father. They are from the evil world. See, lust is a very dangerous path to be on. Lust has its focus on pleasing oneself, and it often leads to unwholesome actions to fill one's desires with no regard to consequences. Lust is about possession and greed. Job said it really nicely. He said this. He said, Lust is a shameful sin that should be punished. It's a devastating fire that destroys to hell. It would wipe out everything I own. See, real love isn't the same as lust. Lust uh, Love gives. Lust takes. Love values. Lust uses. Love endures, but lust subsides. So real love isn't lust. Real love isn't romance either. It's not the same. Some couples experience emotional fireworks when they kiss. Some guys can speak words that make a girl feel so good inside. And some girls can make a guy feel taller and stronger than anybody else in the world just by looking in his eyes. Candlelight dinners, mood music, slow dances, starry skies, they can make a moment special. And romance can be wonderful. It can be wonderful, but it's not love. It's not love. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there's not a place for romance and marriage. There's a big place for it. And you should work at romance in your marriage. Guys, listen to me. Doing things that make your wife's heart stir is critical to filling her tank. And it's not that you have to be Shakespeare and write a 12-page sonnet. You don't have to do that. But you do need to know what our love language is, and you need to start speaking it. And if you haven't read the five love languages, you need to read that book. It is mandatory for your marriage because it will help you discover what your spouse's love language is. My wife's love language is words of affirmation. That's what she likes to hear, words. So I'm constantly trying to leave her sweet notes around the house or I send her little texts or little emails, whatever I can do. It doesn't take a lot to do. It's simply so that she knows that I still find her amazing that I find her amazing and she's worth pursuing. She's still worth pursuing. But see, that's not real love because if your expectation is that you will be romanced and swept off your feet and every day in your relationship that you're going to live on cloud nine, well, then you've been watching too many romantic movies because that's not real life. Listen, there are days that I just can't get enough of my wife. I mean, we click in every area. And and I want to tell you, those times are sweet and they're rich and they're awesome. But there are also times when we really don't like to be around each other very much. You know when those irritating habits come up, like leaving the toilet seat up for the thousandth time? And irritation can grow between us and conflicts arise, but it doesn't mean that there's not love at the core of who we are. It's just we're not feeling those romance feelings at the moment. Because romance is a feeling. It's a feeling, and it will come and go. And real love is so much more than that. So real love isn't lust, it isn't romance, and it isn't infatuation either. 
And this is something I try to speak to our students with all the time. But for some reason, they're really, really hard to convince that the feelings that they have aren't love. It's easy for them to confuse real love with infatuation because of the intense feelings that infatuation brings. Infatuation is a fascination with or an interest in somebody. And it can leave a young student feeling breathless, lightheaded, starry-eyed, and crazy. Believe me, I see it. Oh, I'm so in love, and they're not. One author says love is like this, or infatuation is like this, sorry. You fall deep for somebody, you fool yourself into believing that you are deeply in love with this person with whom all your dreams now revolve around, and you believe you're ready to renounce everything in your life for the sake of this person. Then one morning you wake up to discover that that euphoria has evaporated in the night, and those feelings for that person are gone. But what's more baffling is you find yourself held captive by identical feelings for a different person. That's infatuation. When people talk about falling in love or about love at first sight, they're usually talking about infatuation. And infatuation can be an overwhelming feeling, but it's not real love. Real love is not microwave feelings. Listen to me. Real love is not microwave feelings. Real love is a crockpot. It is. It's a crockpot. It takes time to develop. And the last thing that real love isn't, real love isn't only physical. Tina Turner got it partially right when he, she wrote the lyrics to her song that said, You must understand through the touch of your hand, my pulse reacts, that it's only the thrill of boy meeting girl. Opposites attract. It's physical. Only logical. You must try to ignore that it means more than that. What's love got to do got to do with it what's love but a secondhand emotion see she's partially right because the physical act of sex is not real love so what does love have to do with it well it has a lot to do with it but only under the god prescribed conditions and covenant of marriage see sex is and can be an amazing expression of love it helps build an intimate bond between a husband and wife there's actually science that proves that when a committed couple has sex, the body releases certain hormones and endorphins that strengthen the commitment of that bond. So sex and love go hand in hand. Genesis actually says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and that they shall become one flesh. And the Hebrew word translated there for join literally means loyalty and intimacy meaning sex with only one person, and they become one flesh. See, sex is the product of the complete union and priority of marriage in that relationship. But when you treat love as a secondhand emotion and sex goes outside of marriage, well, then it's just a physical act at that point. And sadly, that's what our society has degraded it to. They've replaced what real love is supposed to represent and put the act of sex in its place. See, casual sex is now mainstream. And there are a multitude of apps and websites that are designed for you to find casual, no-strings-attached sex. And real love is much, much more than just that. See, love is a process. Sex is an act. Love is learned. Sex is instinctive. Love requires constant attention. Sex takes no effort. Love takes time to develop and mature. Sex needs no time to develop. 
Love requires emotional and spiritual interaction. Sex only requires a physical interaction. Love deepens a relationship. Sex outside of marriage dulls a relationship and often ends up killing it. See, real love is not lust, it's not romance, it's not infatuation, and it's not sex. So what is love? What is real love? Well, first and foremost, real love is a choice. It's an action. It's not based on feelings or emotions. Yes, feelings and emotions are products of real love, but it doesn't have its basis there. See, real love takes investment. Real love takes time to develop and mature. It doesn't just happen. It requires work. And I believe real love requires choosing to do three things even when the feeling isn't there. Real love requires choosing these three things. Real love requires choosing to commit when it's easier to leave. Commitment is the foundation of real love. Without it, real love never has a chance. It's really simple. There can be no sense of security, no emotional stability between spouses without a foundation that is constructed out of the cement of commitment. A strong foundation of commitment allows a husband and wife to feel emotionally secure with one another and weather the marital and relationship challenges that all relationships will endure. It helps us to open up emotionally in order to express our deep longings, our vulnerabilities, and our insecurities. It maintains and deepens the mutual trust needed in relationship. See, commitment and intimacy, they go hand in hand. How can you trust each other when you question or doubt another person's loyalty? But commitment in our society, commitment anymore is almost a countercultural idea. I don't even like having the same cell phone for six months. But problems arise when we take that consumer mentality into relationships and we treat people like a commodity that we can trade in. See, when we say, I love you, we're not just expressing a feeling. But what we're saying is, I will be there for you, even when it gets ugly and hard. I'm here for the long haul. See, that's the way love was intended to be because it's a commitment. And when we lose sight of love as commitment, divorce becomes an illusion. The illusion is that divorce is a solution that people believe will fix all of their problems. But generally what happens, and we see this a lot as pastors, is people take their relationship baggage and they carry it into the next marriage. And then they end up repeating the same cycle. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, But for those who are married, I have a command that comes from, not from me, but from the Lord, a wife must not leave her husband. But if she does leave him, let her remain signal, single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. See, I have to be committed to loving my spouse on the days that I struggle to like my spouse. Because if it's based on feelings, then there's no foundation. Because feelings are fickle and they change like the weather. And the same holds true for marriages that don't end, divorce, don't end in divorce, but yet the husband and wife have just given up working at their marriage. They've become roommates at best. See, commitment means never giving up. It means constantly working and trying, even sometimes if the other person is unwilling. Just because you give up doesn't mean I'm going to give up. 
How I go about it may change because now my part is being on my knees, constantly asking God to intervene. But commitment is staying because you made a promise till death do us part. And even if you're right and justified in leaving, you've committed to go, no, I'm going to work it out. I'm going to make it work, even though it would be easy, easier for me to leave. So real love is commitment. Real love is also choosing to sacrifice instead of take. Love more than anything is a sacrifice because real love costs something. God so loved the world that He gave what? He gave His only Son. See, unconditional love is laying down one's life and God's love caused Him to give His best to us. True love is not revealed by empty words, but by deeds and real sacrifices. People give gifts and money to express their love, but nobody, nobody would give up their only child to die for the sins of the world. But God gave us the greatest gift possible for the salvation of mankind. And it's the perfect picture and model of real love. And so real love then, as modeled by God, is giving of self and is always a sacrifice. Because love always pays a price. Love always costs something. Love is expensive. When you love, benefits accrue to another person's account. Love's not for, love is for somebody else, not for you. Love gives. It doesn't grab. Paul says this. He says, love is patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures every circumstance. And see, all of those things that Paul's talking about, all of those things are sacrifices. It means dying to yourself and giving up your wants and needs and rights for the benefit of somebody else. See, sacrificial love is silence when your words would hurt. Sacrificial love is patience when anger is justifiable. It's deafness when gossip flows. It's thoughtfulness when other people hurt. Sacrificial love is active when it's easier not to get involved. It's courage when misfortune falls. See, the mother who sits up all night nursing her sick child doesn't call it hardship or sacrifice. She calls it love. The husband who stays with an ailing wife as her health continues to deteriorate doesn't call it a sacrifice, but an honor and a privilege to stand by and love the one who made his life possible. The wife who gives and gives and gives so her husband can accomplish a lifelong dream doesn't call it sacrifice. She calls it love. See, much of our love today is conditional. It's I'll do it if you will. And people say that compromise is a key to a successful marriage. And I don't think that. I say sacrifice not compromise is what's required. Remember last week when Brian talked about mutual submitting to one another? He talked about us submitting to one another. That's what mutual sacrifice is, submitting to one another. When both parties are willing to go all the way, not just meet in the middle. See, if love didn't cost anything, then it wouldn't have any value. If love is based on condition, then it's not freely given. And who wants forced love? God clearly demonstrated the amazing, free, 
unconditional and sacrificial love through his son Jesus. And our love for others should be the same way. So real love is based on choosing to commit, to sacrifice, and finally this, to forgive, to forgive, and to forgive again. And I say it three times because I believe it is that important to a marriage. Jesus' disciples asked how many times they should forgive, and basically Jesus answers, never stop forgiving. And I believe that forgiveness is not just a key to marriage, but I think it's a requirement. It's a requirement. All throughout the Bible you see forgiveness and the importance it has on our lives. If love is the central theme of the Bible, then forgiveness is definitely the conveyance of that love or the framework that it hangs on. And the same is true for our marriage. See, as pastors, we counsel a lot of people with marital issues. And I would say at the core of almost all of them lies unforgiveness. And honestly, this goes for all relationships. Relationships between friends and family, co-workers and neighbors. What happens is somebody wrongs another and bitterness sets in. And relationships that took years to build are destroyed and thrown away in moments. All because of unforgiveness. See, if you're keeping score with people in your life, then you're going to lose those people. That's how bitterness works. Unforgiveness plants a seed of bitterness in your heart. And Hebrews talks about how that root of bitterness will continue to grow until it consumes you and destroys the relationship. Paul said in Ephesians, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, we forgive because God has forgiven us. Jesus was so serious about it, about us forgiving each other. He said, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, then your Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive other people when they sin against you, then your Father will not forgive you. And I believe he's so serious about it, about us forgiving one another because of what forgiveness cost him. Jesus is saying, look at all that I've done for you. All that I did to forgive you. You have to forgive each other. See, when we experience God's unmerited forgiveness, it should influence all that we are and impact all of our relationships. Because mercy experienced will produce mercy demonstrated. And we're talking about real forgiveness here. The same, I no longer hold it against you, forgiveness, that Jesus extends to us. Jesus says forgiveness is from the heart. See, it's more than just giving it to God and saying, God, you deal with them. It's more than simply accepting the hurt and letting it pass. True forgiveness occurs when those cold emotions of unforgiveness are changed to warm, loving, compassionate, caring emotions, resulting in a heartfelt transformation. Now don't get me wrong. It isn't that forgiving someone automatically creates these warm and fuzzy feelings toward them, especially if you've been deeply wounded. That's why I said forgiveness is a choice. You have to choose to forgive. You can't depend on your emotions. You can't wait for the feelings to come. The feelings are the result, not the catalyst. And most times you have to make that choice every single day, sometimes every minute because the pain is still there. Forgiveness doesn't magically remove the pain from the wound that you've suffered. 
oftentimes in my experience, it makes it worse. Because in choosing to forgive, what I'm saying is I have to willingly endure the pain and absorb the full cost of the offense. Because we're not talking about reconciliation. It takes two to reconcile. It only takes one to forgive. And the one that forgives bears the full cost of it. That's what Christ did for us. I'm going to be honest with you, the other path is easier. It's easier, at least at first it is, because when you're deeply hurt by somebody, anger, resentment, and bitterness, man, they become great friends. Anger is a great insulator of pain. It's easy for me to be angry and hold on to that anger and to allow that anger to replace all the emotions that come from wounds left by others. The problem with that is that even though it numbs the pain, anger doesn't last forever. And it sours and it turns to bitterness. And that bitterness is a cancer that eats away at you, slowly destroying you day by day. See, bitterness becomes this chain that binds you. It's easy at first to bear, but as time goes on, the weight of that chain grows heavier and heavier day by day and year by year. And hear me when I say this. If there's unforgiveness and bitterness in your marriage, if there's bitterness or unforgiveness in any of the relationships that you have, there is only one path to healing. To healing not only that relationship, but you yourself. You can only find release and healing from your pain through forgiveness. There's no other way. There's not. Because bitterness impairs our ability to give and receive real love. See, if we're bound by bitterness, the communion that we have with God is blocked. It's broken. We can't open our arms to embrace His love. We can't open our arms to embrace the love of others. We can't open our arms to freely give love. The only way that we can truly love and receive love again is to remove the chains. We have to remove them. We have to let them go. It's easy to say, but I know it's hard to do. Especially if it's those that are closest to us, the ones that we trust the most that have caused us the pain. Let me take that back. It's easy to say. It's impossible to do. True forgiveness. Forgiveness that comes from the heart. Forgiveness that Jesus talks about is impossible for us to do in our own power. Because genuine forgiveness is not natural but it's supernatural. You can't do it on your own. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to forgive. So I'm going to ask the band to come up. And when they, as they come up, I want to close with this. All of us have struggles in our relationships. You do, I do. Ashley and I, we have gone through some very difficult times in our marriage. Times that honestly, I didn't know if we were going to make it or not. And if I'm really being honest, there was a time that I thought our marriage was done. So I know what a troubled marriage looks like. I know what damaged relationships look like. But I want you to know that because we were both willing to submit our lives and our relationship to God, I can honestly stand here and tell you now that the intimacy between my wife and myself is greater now and sweeter now than it has ever been been. Now don't get me wrong, things aren't always perfect. 
but we're committed to one another. We're committed to one another. We sacrifice for each other. And through the help of the Holy Spirit, we forgive each other when we continue to cause those deep wounds. So today I want to give you the opportunity to begin a healing process in your marriage or any other relationship that you might be struggling with. And it begins by being on your knees and giving it to God. So as the band plays, if you want to begin that process, I would ask you just to come up here to the stage and kneel and pray. Pray to God to help you have forgiveness. Pray to God to help you heal that relationship. You can come individually. You can come as a couple, however you want to do it. If you want me to pray with you, I'll be up here, and I'd be happy to pray with you. Either way, don't hold on to that bitterness any longer. Don't hold on to unforgiveness. Find healing that God offers you. Find freedom that God offers you. And discover what real love really looks like. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the the amazing sacrifice of your love in, in your son, Jesus Christ, that you've shown us a picture of what real love truly looks like. God, my prayer today is that for those of us that are struggling with broken relationships, with bitterness, with unforgiveness, Lord, that you would, you would help us to begin a process that would restore those relationships. God, we know that you can do that. You, are, you have the power to heal and mend unlike any other. But God, I know our hearts have to be willing to do that. So my prayer is that your spirit would speak to our hearts and open us up to the things you want us to respond to. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.